Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we welcome in episode ninety-two of the podcast. It is Week America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, May twenty-fourth, two thousand twenty-one. People, hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope everybody is ready for the long Memorial Day weekend coming up, and of course. I hope you enjoyed an incredible sports weekend. I mean, this was one of the first weekends that it really feels like sports is back. We are back to some sense of normalcy. Eight NBA playoff games, obviously some great home crowds in Phoenix, Brooklyn, Madison Square Garden, and of course, Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship. Oldest player to win a major, Phil Mickelson. If you listen to the Aaron Torres podcast, congratulations, my man. If you listen, which I know you don't, but congratulations, Phil Mixon. Anyway, we're not talking Phil Mixon on this show. Four topics I want to get into, a couple topics I, 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 I'm really passionate about. One, on Friday, we actually had some new developments in this preps to pros. Basically, all of these high school kids choosing the pro route over college basketball. Some interesting stuff happened. I don't think it's a death knell for college basketball. College basketball, is like that's not what it is, but I do want to talk about it because I think it's interesting. We'll take a break after that, and then we are going to transition to a couple football topics as week one college football point spreads are out. So I'm going to tell you who I like, who I don't, and really just kind of get you back in that college football mindset because as crazy as it sounds, we're less than 100 days away to the start of college football season. We'll talk a little Tim Tebow because while social media is outraged that he's getting another chance, his jersey sales are through the roof, and I will give you another Quick update on what's going on at the University of Hartford. The president of the school, now in very hot water because there's some lies on his resume. We got to the bottom of it. University of Hartford, fascinating. But I do want to start with the topic of the day. To me, uh, we talk a ton of college basketball. Look, I mean, we're, we're starting to get to the point where transfer portal season is over. We're now waiting on a few NBA draft decisions. But for the most part, the college hoops news is starting to slow down. But in terms of recruiting, it's just picking up. College coaches can go back on the road in June. The top players in 2021 are committed. We're starting to learn more about the top players in 2022. But obviously, the difference between now and when coaches could last go out on the road to recruit two summers ago is that we have all these new pro options available to the elite high school players. And over the course of the weekend, three more elite high school players or players who we believe to be elite, and I'll get to what I mean by that in a minute, have signed professionally. And so what I want to do is take a back step, explain what's going on, explain what I think it means going forward, and what does it mean both for professional, uh, you know, the professional ranks, for the high school ranks, for high school players, because it is fascinating and it is different. And so as a quick backstory, let me let me even start by saying this. Over the last year, year and a half, I've spent a lot of time talking about this G League Ignite program. And I think by now, anyone who listens to this podcast kind of understands G League Ignite. It is basically a, a bridge year that the NBA has set up where if kids don't want to go to college for their quote-unquote one-and-done year, they don't have to. You can go train professionally. You can go train with former NBA players, train in an NBA facility, whatever. 
Uh, but this program started at this time last year. They had four players, basically five if you include an international kid, that went ahead and signed up for the first iteration. Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, etc. Dacian Nix, who was supposed to go to UCLA. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked a little bit about this program for 2021 because Jaden Hardy, one of the elite high school players in America, chose to commit for this year. Well, one, the G League did sign another player, Scooter Henderson, uh, over the course of this weekend. We'll get into him in a minute. He's kind of an interesting story. But what I haven't really talked about is there is now another league, another pathway for high school players if they do not want to play college basketball. So a couple years ago, you had the option to go to Australia. Obviously, you can go overseas. It doesn't appear as though anybody in this high school class is going to go, although one of the top high school players in 2022 has expressed interest in potentially playing there. You have Australia. You have the G League, which I just laid out, and you have a third option now called Overtime Elite. And what Overtime Elite is, if you if you go on YouTube, if you watch highlights, first of all, if you're not subscribed to the Air Torres Podcast YouTube channel, do that right now. But if you go on YouTube, there's a couple of these um, companies that are great with the high school highlight mixtapes, Ball is Life, but one of them is also called Overtime. And as an extension of the Overtime brand, they have now started what they're calling the Overtime Elite Program, which is, again, a different pathway for high school players who do not want to play college basketball. Prior to this weekend, nobody had signed with Overtime Elite, but before we get into who did sign with them because they finally got some guys, um, what, what, what you need to know is it's a little bit different than the G League, right? So the G League, as I mentioned a minute ago, it is the, the bridge year, and in some cases even two, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, it is the bridge year between high school and the NBA. So it is essentially the one and done year. You don't want to go to college. You don't have to come train year round. Overtime Elite is a little bit different. First of all, they've got some crazy big names invested in, in the organization. Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Drake, Jeff Bezos. Now, when I say invested, I think that's been a little bit misreported um, because it's not like they went to Jeff Bezos and asked him for money, but he's part of these hedge funds and the hedge funds give whatever. But there's a lot of money behind this thing. And there's a couple different components. There is the basketball component where they're hoping to sign 30 elite high school players. But there's also an academic component to it where players don't have to be graduated from high school like they do in the G League. And they can instead go to overtime. You go to class at a certain point a day. You train at a certain point a day. And basically, it is essentially America's version of a basketball academy. Again, different from the G League, not affiliated with the G League. But because they have the academic component, they can recruit younger players than the G League can. I bring all this up to say that after months, we're trying to figure out who's going to play in this league. When it, it starts in September, we're trying to figure out they don't have any players, what's going on. We thought they were going to get a commitment from a kid a few weeks ago. He instead decides to go to LSU. And so on Friday, Overtime Elite gets their first commitments for this program. And it is Matt and Ryan Booley. And if you've never heard of Matt and Ryan Booley, well, I will be honest. I had really not heard of them. I like somebody had mentioned their names in passing to me, but for the most part I had not heard of them. And the reason I had not heard of them is because they are two of the top 15 players in the high school class of 2023. Yes, you heard that correctly. The top two of the top players in the sophomore class of high school basketball have just signed professional contracts here in the United States. The crazy part is their two-year contracts get them through the end of high school that will pay these kids a million dollars apiece. And so I don't know how exactly it works. I would assume 500000 one year, 5000 another year. But it is insane the fact that we just had two kids who completed their sophomore years of high school that are now paid professional basketball players making $500,000 a year. Now, I want to hit on this from a number of different angles, and to be clear, I always say it, but I do not blame the, the, the kids for taking that pathway. Um, you know, I even kind of sat back on, on um, you know, Friday when I heard this news, and I, I kind of sat there and said, you know, I love college basketball, but if I was a parent and somebody offered my son 
$500,000 for their junior and senior year of high school. They're getting paid $500,000 potentially as early as 15 years old. I think even I as a parent, and I'm not a parent, but if I had a kid in that position, it'd be tough for me to say no. And I'm Mr. College Basketball. I believe in the academic component. I believe it's great to be in a high school community, a college community, but it's tough to say. So it's definitely different, but I want to talk about it on a couple of different angles. First of all, the, the, the age thing is just what blows me away. And I think you have to think about it at the simplest level. These kids are so young, at least by NCAA calendar. Think about this. College basketball coaches can't even reach out to sophomores in high school going into their junior year. They cannot contact them by phone until June of this year, meaning these kids have already signed million-dollar contracts before college coaches can even reach out, which is insane to me. Like, it's insane. Class of 2023, they're not eligible until the 2024 NBA draft. 2024, I don't even, I can't even conceptualize. I feel like we're going to have flying cars by 2024. But I bring it up to say it's crazy. It is the new reality. It is clear that there is a value for these young players. I'll also be fascinated just to see how it works. And I say it every time, and I'm not rooting against anybody, but I think it's fascinating. First of all, strictly from a, you know, business standpoint, I don't know that it makes a ton of sense to be paying 15-year-olds $500,000. Now, great for the 15-year-olds. Don't blame them. And I, I think they're a little bit older. I think they're actually like 16 and a half going on 17, so they're old for their age. But it feels crazy to pay $500,000 to kids of that age. And let me explain why. Let me explain why. Because I think what overtime is doing, they have that what they're doing is they're basically saying, we're not waiting until the colleges get involved, until the G League can get involved. We're going to get them younger, which in theory sounds great. But as somebody who covers college basketball, understands the recruiting thing, what I would say is it's also really risky. And you know why? Because have you ever followed high school basketball recruiting? First of all, the, we'll, I'll, you know, I'll backtrack on that in a second. But first of all, if you follow high school basketball recruiting, it changes very quickly and through the years. Go back and look at who the top players are as freshmen in any given class and look at who the top players are by the time they're seniors. It's basically almost never the same. Now, every once in a while, you get a player like, uh, you know, an Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley was basically the number one player as a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. But what nobody talks about is there's also a lot of guys that are really good early that never really develop. I hate to disparage any individual player, but this high school class of 2020, which we all agree was awesome, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, whoever, there was a kid in this class named Kyrie Walker, who at one point was the best high school player in that class. You can look him up. You can Google him. He was the number one player as a freshman. He was top 10 as a sophomore. By the end of his senior season, he wasn't even in the top 100. And I hate to pick on him. He's currently training, going to pursue uh, you know professional opportunities he like Evan you know he could have been a, a college player he went professional this year but I bring it up to say this kid was the number one pl national player of the year as a freshman by the time he was a senior he wasn't top 100 on the flip side think about somebody like Cade Cunningham Cade Cunningham is awesome he's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft coming out of his junior year Kate Cunningham wasn't one of the top 20 players in his high school class. Now, by the end of that summer, he was top five, top three, top one. But coming out of his junior year, because I remember the first time I saw him was very early after his junior year. And I said, how is this guy like the 21st ranked player in his class? Who is doing these rankings? And so I bring it up to say, guys, you know, there are guys that are really good early because they're just bigger, stronger, faster, or they're just more developed or they get ranked really highly and they take their foot off the gas. And then there are guys that develop really late. And so I'm not rooting against these 16-year-old kids that, frankly, I never heard of. But I will say, like, I, I think it's really risky to invest that much money into kids that young. Um, I would also say, think, think about it in a different way. The NBA. How many guys are busting the NBA? The NBA. The best talent evaluators in the world. The best coaches in the world. The best everything. They miss on these guys all the time, and they're 19, 20 years old when they enter the NBA. These kids are 15 years old, and you're investing a million dollars. And so to me, not rooting against the kids, 
Hope they make it big. Hope they make a ton of money. But I think it does speak to the fact that this is really risky. I would say on top of that, I don't know how this overtime thing financially is going to work. Now, maybe over the next couple of weeks, they just throw obscene amounts of money at some of the top high, you know, the top players. And I'll be honest, I would watch out because it seems like they're going to keep actively recruiting players that, that may be committed for 2021 to try to get them in this program. Certainly 2022, I saw the two guys who are running it, ironically, Kevin Ollie, who didn't do any recruiting when he was at UConn. He was at an event with Imani Bates and, and Jalen Duran this weekend, the top two players in, going into the senior year. But I bring it up to say, you know, they're going to need to fill out this roster. They're going to throw they're going to throw around a lot of money. I don't see how this is a profitable business venture because I keep hearing about how big all these brands of these kids are. Well, these kids just finished their sophomore years of high school. They haven't even had a chance to play at Peach Jam. Like nobody knows who these kids are. And so unless you get some bigger names, nobody is going to tune in. And so, you know, we'll get to the college basketball element of it in a minute. But I do still think at this moment in time, it's got to be edge college basketball, right? Because assuming that they don't just get thrown a ton of money when they're freshmen and sophomores, by the time you get to a junior and senior year, you, you look at what NCAA college basketball did for Jalen Suggs. You look at what it did as the NBA playoffs are in the background for R.J. Barrett. Everybody knows about R.J. Barrett because of what he did at Duke. Zion Williamson because of what he did at Duke. Jalen Suggs. On and on and on and on and on. And now you're taking these players that nobody had ever heard of, Ryan and Matt Booley. I, I follow probably college basketball and college basketball recruiting more than 99% of people, and I had never heard of these guys. So investing $2 million in kids that nobody ever heard of, I don't think it's what gets people to come to your league. So it'll be fascinating, and I'm very curious to see what they do next because uh, you know they're going to have to sign 30-plus players. If you haven't followed this league, the goal is to sign 30-plus players and basically develop them within the program and all that stuff. And, you know, so, so they're going to start throwing some money around because they're supposed to launch in September of 2021, and they need 30 players, and they need 30 players in a hurry. I don't really see how this works, and I certainly, by the way, don't see how it works when the name, image, likeness stuff comes about when college players can actually make money by going to Duke, by going to Kentucky, by going to Gonzaga, because think about it. These kids are going to have no exposure. Nobody's going to hear of them. Nobody's going to know anything about them. They're not going to be playing on national TV. Maybe, it'll, maybe they'll develop better. But, I mean, part of the world that we live in is brand, is marketing, is all of the things off the court as much as it is on the court. And I know this, 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 this entity over time is really big on the Internet and is really big and really popular. But I always say there's a difference between being Internet famous and being famous famous, okay? And I use this example all the time. My old intern, Zach, loved it. But when R.J. Barrett signed with, uh, or R.J. Hampton, excuse me, signed with Australia, I said on this show, I said, look, I know he has like 500,000 Instagram followers. Good for him. It doesn't mean his brand is that big. There's a difference between being Instagram famous and famous famous, okay? There's, there's uh, you know, Instagram booty models with a million plus people that follow him on Instagram. doesn't mean they're famous. It means they have a lot of people that follow him. doesn't mean they're famous. But you know what makes a basketball player famous? It's not having a bunch of highlights on Instagram or YouTube. It's actually like playing on TV in games that matter. And I always use this analogy, but Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, Colin Cowherd, they didn't know who Jalen Suggs was till he hit that shot. But they know him now. They didn't know who Evan Mobley was till he put USC on his back and led him to the Elite Eight. But they know him now. They didn't know who Zion was. R.J. Barrett was. Trey Young was. John Morant was. But because of college basketball, they knew him. And so that'll be really interesting. Now, the kid that signed with the G League, that is interesting in its own right. So really quick, we'll get to Scooter Henderson. He was the top guard in the high school class of 2022. So basically going into his senior year, he actually reclassified. So his plan was to reclassify. He was being recruited by some colleges, including Auburn. But he reclassifies, graduates from high school, and signs up with the G League. And so, first of all, if you read a report that says, you know, he's skipping his senior year to go play the G League, like that's factually incorrect. He is actually a, co a high school graduate, but what is interesting about him is that because he is only 17 years old, if you remember, NBA draft rules do not allow you to enter the NBA draft until you're at least 19 years old. So he is actually going to be the first player to spend two years in the G League and I'll just be really interested to see how it works out. 
Um, I don't know the kid. I mean, obviously, nobody really got to know these kids in the high school class of 2021 because nobody has been on the road talking to them, going to recruiting events for the last year. Again, another one. I don't wish him any ill will. Um, but, you know, we're going to find out really quick if he's cut out for the professional ranks because on the one hand, I actually think it could be really good for him if you are just a basketball junkie and you don't mind the workout and the grind, he's now going to have two years in that G League program, which means two years against professional players with professional coaching, professional, in theory, you would hope, weight training, meals, all that stuff. And there's no restrictions like in the NCAA where there's a limit to how much you can practice, how much you can play, all that stuff. On the flip side, what I would also say is we have also seen kids reclassify from high school as a junior, go up a year, and it's tough enough in college. Think about all the guys that have done it in college and haven't been that good. Now this guy's going to have to do it against pros, so it could work out one way or the other, but the interesting element of it from the G League's perspective is that this is the first time that they are taking a two-year player, and it doesn't appear as though they are limiting themselves just to players in their senior years. If you're interested in reclassifying, now they still do not have the academic component to it, so... I don't think they can just sign a 15-year-old as a high school freshman because I don't think there's the academic component to it. So, But it's interesting. It's going to be worth following. And what I would say and what I would wrap on with two quick things from the college basketball perspective, I don't want to say it doesn't impact college basketball at all because it obviously does in some way, shape, or form. You are losing really talented players. But on the flip side, like I think we saw it this year. You don't know what you don't have. And... As cool as it would have been to have Jalen Green in college basketball, like I didn't feel like I was missing anything by Jalen Green not being there. Now, you know, Duke could have used him, Memphis could have used him, Kentucky could have used him. And if he had gone there, like, you know, we would have hoped he would have had an impact. But like nobody nobody was sitting there the opening day of the NCAA tournament, like, man, I can't watch this because Jalen Green's not. Like it didn't happen. And so from college basketball's perspective, again, I don't think you can miss people that are not part of your sport. Now, you can be sad when Jalen Suggs declares. You can be sad when uh, John Wall declares or Derrick Rose or Kevin Durant. Like, man, I enjoyed watching them play college basketball. But if they never played, you can't miss them. And so you have that component. You have the other component of what happens when name image likeness comes? Because I still think that's the great elephant in the room. And when I look at the name image likeness stuff, I just kind of sit there and say, you know, the one thing that that the pros have going for them that college doesn't is, let's be honest, you can get paid. It's not fun to go train for a year, but it's a little bit easier if you're getting paid $500,000. On the flip side, though, if now colleges can pay you a little bit, and on top of that, you get all of the great exposure that college basketball provides, you get to play 40 times a year on national TV, on Duke, on ESPN, on the ACC network, on CBS, on Fox Sports, on whatever, or you can play in the G League and you're playing at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday and you're getting paid now, big advantage of college basketball. On top of that, I would also say this, a couple things, and then I'll wrap, we'll take a break, we'll get to some football, is that I do think, you know, you, don't, you never want to lose players, and there's always going to be players that choose alternative paths, all that stuff. But when the name image likeness stuff comes in, I do think it matters, and I do think it'll be a big boon for college and college basketball. And what I would also say is this, is that you know, over the last couple of years, I have kind of evolved on this topic, right? I wish all these guys came to college for a year. I know it's not realistic to hope for Zion or R.J. Barrett to play four years of college basketball. I get that. But, you know, you know, in a perfect world, I wish they all came to play for at least one year. But I did think if you remove the one and done rule, no one's going to care about college basketball because Zion and RJ Barrett and Trey Young and all, like all those guys will be gone. And I, my opinion has changed on that, okay? And it's changed for a few reasons. One, let's be honest the number of freshmen that really impact college basketball on a year to year basis, it's just not that much. I mean, even Trey Young, like, Ben, ben Simmons was the number one pick, didn't make the tournament. Anthony Edwards was the number one pick, who was actually awesome, but none of, them knew, none of us knew it because he played for Tom Crean. I mean, you know, he didn't have that big of an impact. They finished in 13th place in the SEC, which is more on Tom Crean than, than him. Um, you know, there are the guys, Jalen Suggs, whatever, but the, the, the impact is minimal, okay? So that's one. Two, I think what I have learned in this transfer portal world that we live in is that 
I don't think that the average fan really cares. Like, it's cool to say you had a five-star commit. But what I've realized is the average Kentucky fan, the average Duke fan, the average North Carolina fan, the average Tennessee fan, the average UCLA fan, Arkansas fan, whoever, they don't really care if the number one player in America comes to their school for a year or goes to the G League or goes to overtime or goes to wherever. All they want to know is when my team takes the court, do I have a team that's good enough to win a national championship? And the transfer portal has really changed this for me because I see the reaction of an Arkansas fan or a Kentucky fan or a UCLA fan or a Kansas fan when a big name transfers to their school. Like, there was as much excitement for C.J. Frederick and Severe Wheeler and Oscar Shibway for Kentucky fans as there was when they signed Ty Ty Washington. Arkansas fans this offseason were fired up. Audis Tony, Chris Likes, transfers as they were for Moses Moody. Because all Arkansas fans want to know, all Kentucky fans want to know, all UCLA fans want to know, I don't care who the player is, I don't care if he's a freshman or a senior, number one ranked, number 100 ranked, is my team going to compete when they step on the court when the games matter? And so to me, if you do lose five, six, seven, ten players a year to professional options, maybe it's even more because overtime elite wants to have 30 players, four teams, you're going to lose them. But if on opening night, Champions Classic, Duke is playing Kentucky, and both those teams have teams good enough to win the national championship. That's all those fan bases care about. Same with Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, whatever. I'm going on and on and on and on and on, but I have evolved on this. I wish they all played college basketball. It's not realistic, but whatever. But I'll say this. It'll be interesting to follow. All right, that segment went really long. What I want to do, take a quick break, come back. We're going to talk some football stuff. We're going to talk a little Tim Tebow. We're going to talk the week one college football lines, and the latest at the University of Hartford, which is just insane. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Uh, I know it's a little bit of an early break uh, on this show, but you know how it gets, right? If I don't break, then I end up talking nonstop for basically like 50 minutes in a row, and you guys are like, what am I doing? So I figured I'd take a break. I don't know how long the back half of this show is going to go, but I do want to transition to a little bit of college football and a couple football topics. And for people who are new to this show, one thing you need to know, I actually, I know I've talked a lot of college basketball on this show really over the last couple months, February into March Madness, out of March Madness, coaching carousel transfer portal. But what I would also say for people who aren't familiar with my background I do a ton of college football. I, uh, I, you know, I previously worked at FoxSports.com. Uh, at that time, I covered both college football and college basketball, have written a ton about college football. I also host Fox Sports Radio's National College Football Show. And so if you listen to this show, if you're new to this show, I'm going to talk a ton of college football over these next couple months as we transition out of basketball into football. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on whatever the relevant topics are, but we are going to start talking a little bit more football. And we're really starting to get to that point where college football is actually getting a little bit closer than I think a lot of people realize. We are under 100 days away, and all these little things are going to start popping up over these next few months that make us realize, oh my goodness, college football is coming. And one of them came late last week after I recorded the last episode, and that was this. FanDuel put out their week one point spreads for week one of college football. That may not seem like much to you, but one, it is the first big sign that college football is actually pretty close. Secondly, if you are a gambler, if you can gamble legally in your state, and a lot of states are coming here, by the way, um, it is a great opportunity to jump in now and make these bets because I'll tell you, I think a lot of these lines are going to move here over these next couple months. But FanDuel put out week one college football point spreads. And what I want to do is go through some of these teams, talk a little bit about these point spreads, and talk about a loaded week one and week two of college football. Here is what you need to know just week one and week two of college football. Forget, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, LSU. Just week one. We have LSU at UCLA, which is maybe more interesting for me than anybody because UCLA plays right down the road from me. Um, by the way, if we have any LSU fans, let me know if you're coming out. We will uh, we'll have to have an Aaron Torres pod get together or something like that here in Pasadena. Email me, Aaron Torres pod, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you're an LSU fan coming out. But LSU UCLA week one. Um, 
Alabama-Miami week one, the mega, mega, mega game, which is Georgia-Clemson. Both of those teams will start in the top five. They are opening week one. Beyond that, you have Florida State and Notre Dame. You have Louisville and Ole Miss on Labor Day night. And then in week two, oh, by the way, you got Texas-Arkansas. You got Michigan-Washington. You got Ohio State-Oregon. Talk about a mega opening two weeks of college football. So there's so many good games. And what I want to do is break down some of these week one point spreads. And like I said, if you're a gambler, it's not too early. And oh, by the way, if you're not a gambler, it's still kind of great to just kind of refresh that college football portion of your brain like, oh, yeah, that thing happened and that will impact these games. And so what I want to do is talk about some of these week one point spreads, the teams that I like, if I would bet them, if I would stay away, who I like. And I'll tell you this. Well, I can't legally gamble in in California. I am going to Vegas this weekend, and you better believe your boy Torres is going to be looking out for some of these week one point spreads. So let's talk week one point spreads. These are via FanDuel.com. I have no partnership with FanDuel. I just saw these pop up. And so FanDuel put out week one point spreads. And let's start with the big one. Georgia Clemson. This game will be in Charlotte. It will be the opening weekend in college football. It will be the opening ACC, uh, uh, excuse me, not the ACC, the ABC marquee game. As I said, I host on Fox Sports Radio. I know I'll be talking about this one a lot that week. But what you need to know is essentially this, is two things. One, these two teams are going to start in the top five. And really the story of this game is Georgia. Because this is not only the story of this game, it might be the story of this season, which is if Georgia can't do it this year, like, I don't know if it will ever happen. And let me, let me do a little bit of a backstory. And again, this is kind of to refresh that college football portion of your brain. But Georgia, look, we know the story of the last five, six, seven years. Kirby Smart, great defense, great run game. They never have the quarterback. And when they get on the big stage against the elite quarterback, it never goes well. Didn't go well against Tua. Didn't go well against Joe Burrow. Didn't go well against Kyle Trask last year. Didn't go well against Mac Jones last year. But then a funny thing happened. Georgia lost a couple games. They were completely out of the national championship picture. And then Kirby Smart puts in JT Daniels, the transfer from USC. And why he put him in late, there were some injury things, all this stuff. But what you need to know is that Kirby Smart puts in JT Daniels and the offense takes off. JT Daniels starts the last three games of the regular season. Georgia puts up 31, 45, and 49 points in their last three games with JT Daniels under center. They win the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, and then boom, just like that, it has been the summer of Georgia where I don't know if Georgia has ever gotten more hype coming into a season in my lifetime than they are right now because they've always had the defense, they've always had the run game. Now they may actually have the quarterback, JT Daniels, as I mentioned, a USC transfer. He was a guy that was basically the number one recruit in his high school class. He reclassified, moved up a year, started at USC as a true freshman. He gets hurt, replaced by Keaton Slovis. But I bring it up to say, like, he is the closest thing that Georgia has had to a marquee quarterback in basically forever. Maybe Matt Stafford. I mean, maybe Aaron Murray. It's been a long time, though. And so that is why Georgia, there's so much hype going into this game. Of course, they are playing Clemson. Not sure if you've heard. They've been pretty good over the last couple of years. Clemson enters this game as a three-point favorite. And I think it'll be fascinating to see where the money comes in as we get closer to the start of the season. Because I do think Georgia matches up well with Clemson. Clemson is breaking in a new starter at quarterback. Remember, Trevor Lawrence out. DJ Uilaganlale is in. And while I did like DJ Uilaganlale when he started in place of Trevor Lawrence, I did think he was a little rough around the edges. Kind of a, a real, you know, I don't know what the right football terminology is, but kind of a hard thrower. He didn't have a ton of touch on his passes. And so I will say that in general, I'm not sold that like Clemson is this unbeatable juggernaut that they have been the last couple of years. Now, they're going to play in the ACC. They're going to steamroll everybody in the ACC. But in terms of this game, I actually think Georgia matches up really well with them. It's worth noting with Clemson, yes, they do start the new quarterback, but their best wide receiver from two seasons ago, Justin Ross, may be back. Justin Ross, really talented wide receiver, had a major, major medical issue last year, but many believe that he'll be cleared this year. And also that Clemson basically returns their entire defense from last year, the team that made the Sugar Bowl against Ohio State. If you remember that super hard hit that Justin Fields took against Ohio State, 
Um, that super hard hit was from a kid by the name of James Stalski. He was kind of the heart and soul of that defense. He is back. And so in terms of this game, I'll just be honest. I know it's not sexy to say that I'm not taking a side. I would probably lean Georgia, but I don't love it. But what I would say is pay attention for an over-under because I think this is just a bloodbath, back-and-forth uh, war, and I would take the under when that comes out. If I had to take a side right now, I would take Georgia plus three. Second marquee game of the of the opening weekend of the college football season, Alabama playing Miami. They're playing in Atlanta. It is the typical neutral site opening weekend game that Alabama always plays. And if you follow college football, this is like, you know, the, the sign that the leaves are changing, the clocks are changing, whatever you know about fall that makes you feel like, okay, fall is here. Alabama steamrolling a really good opponent on the opening weekend is pretty much the standard opening weekend fair. And that is why this game is really interesting. Alabama's playing Miami. Alabama's actually a 17-and-a-half-point favorite, and that's reflective of the fact that if you give Nick Saban more than one week to prepare, he's basically unbeatable. And if you give him a whole offseason to prepare, oh my goodness, it never ends well for the opponent. Through the years, Alabama has beaten Michigan on the opening weekend, Wisconsin, USC, Florida State, on and on and on and on and on. And just for fun, I went back and looked at Alabama's four most recent openers, excluding this past season where it was an SEC-only schedule. Alabama opened at Missouri and they won. But here are Alabama's last four opening games to start the season in college football when they play on a neutral field against not a conference team. 2019, they beat Duke 42-3. 2018, they beat Louisville 51-14. 2017, they beat Florida State 24-3. And if that sounds like it was really close, well, guess what? Florida State was the number three team in the country coming into the season, and Alabama still beat them by three touchdowns. And the year before, Alabama beats USC 52-6. If you remember, that was when Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator, and he got a thrill out of blowing out USC. So the last four out-of-conference regular season openers for Alabama, 42-3, 51-14, 24-3, and 52-6. I bring this up to say I would probably lean Alabama here. Now, what you need to know about Miami, if you remember – Derek King was the quarterback last year, transferred in from Houston. He gets hurt in the bowl game, but he is back. Um, they brought in some kind of interesting transfers in the portal. Uh, Charleston Rambo, who was a really good wide receiver two years ago at Oklahoma, he is in when he played with Jalen Hurts. So Miami is going to be good. Miami might be the second best team in the ACC. I don't know how I feel about them playing Bama. Don't know if I love the Bama 17 and a half. I would probably do one of two things. I would either take a Bama first half. I do think it'll be something like 21 to 3 at halftime, 28 to 3. I mean, Alabama is going to kick butt. It's just a matter of is it going to be over the course of the full game and are they going to cover the 17 and a half? The other thing that I would seriously consider, waiting till we can get an over under, I would take an over. I don't think Alabama's offense misses a beat this year as Bill O'Brien takes over for Steve Sarkeesian as the head coach. And if you've, if you've forgotten, yes, Bill O'Freakin' Brian, the former head coach of the Houston Texans, is now the head coach at Alabama. But Alabama opens up as a 17.5-point favorite. How about this one? LSU at UCLA to open the 2020 college football season. And I'll be honest, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of everything. I was, like, stunned when I saw this a couple for a couple reasons. One, because UCLA is right down the road from where I live. UCLA, the school is, well, the Rose Bowl is right down the road from where I live. UCLA is about 35 minutes. But I bring it up to say, LSU fans, I don't know how many of you listen to this show, but hit your boy up. We're going to have to have an Aaron Torres pod party here in Pasadena before that LSU game. And more than anything, I'm just excited to see how LSU fans handle Pasadena. LSU fans are the notorious, don't take this the wrong way, LSU fans. They're the notorious biggest drinkers in college football. They drink entire bars out of beer. They drink entire cities out of beer. And so I am fascinated to see them in person. If you're an LSU fan, hit me up, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. We'll get together. We'll hang out. But I bring it up to say that intrigued me. And the other thing that intrigued me, LSU was only a three-point favorite to open in FanDuel. And so to me, that was the first one. I was like, take LSU, take LSU. And I will say the line has already moved to three and a half. 
But that is also one that I would consider, it's just interesting, right? Because you think LSU, you think Coach O, you think they're all this skill and athleticism. If you remember back to last year, they were not very good. If you remember back to last year, LSU, they started the season reigning national champs. Everyone's hyped up. Mike Leach goes into LSU, goes into Tiger Stadium, and they steamroll LSU. We find out like two weeks later, Mississippi State isn't good at all. They lose to Arkansas, Kentucky, all these other teams. But then after that, LSU season never really got better. They finished 5-5, five and five, but they were 3-5 and five at one point before winning their final two games, including one as a 20-plus point underdog against Florida. So this was not a vintage LSU team last year. Now, what's interesting is they did make a bunch of changes in the offseason. Bo Pelini was the offensive coordinator. He is out. Or, excuse me, the defensive coordinator. He is out. They've changed coordinators again. And we'll see if Coach O can get things re-rolling here. But it's also worth noting, UCLA wasn't as bad as you remember. Like, UCLA still, they, Chip Kelly's their coach. Like, they should be better than they were. But they finished the season last year 3-4 and four overall. Not great. I get it. But the offense kind of figured things out late. Five of their seven games that they played, they scored 34-plus points. They scored 40-plus points three times of their seven games. And they almost beat USC, which was basically undefeated going into the last week of the season, which is crazy because, if you remember, the the Pac-12 only played five, six, seven games with all of its teams. But UCLA may be starting to figure it out with Chip Kelly, but I'll also tell you that line is going to move in a hurry If you can bet and if you do like to bet, I would jump on LSU as soon as I could because that number is going to go up and I would take LSU here. Moving to the rest of the weekend. So it's really interesting. Remember, that opening weekend of college football, don't forget, it is on Labor Day weekend. So we get games Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And the Sunday night game is actually kind of an interesting one. It is Notre Dame at Florida State. Notre Dame opens as a nine-point favorite in that game. And what's really interesting to me about this is a few things. One, I think it speaks to for like how much we crap on Notre Dame. It kind of speaks to how far they've come as a program where they make the playoff last year. Remember, they lost to Alabama in the playoff, but then they lose their starting quarterback, Ian Book. They lose a bunch of offensive linemen. They lose a bunch of key defensive players, and they're still almost a double-digit favorite going to Florida State. Now, part of that is just because Florida State wasn't very good last year. If you'll remember, they went what would they go? I think they went three and six overall, if memory serves me correct. They had that weird situation. Remember the deal with Florida State and Clemson, where Clemson shows up to play Florida State, and Florida State's just like, yeah, we're not playing. You have one COVID test. Like, by the way, that, that, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying, like, re-getting, re, you know, kind of getting your college football brain going again. So much stuff happened last year, especially in the COVID year. But Florida State, really weird year, three and six, first year under Mike Norvell. But this game will be at Doak Campbell. This is not a neutral site game. This is a true road game for Notre Dame. I would probably take Florida State plus the points, but I wouldn't feel great about it. Maybe take Florida State in the first half. Maybe Notre Dame pulls away late. But that is one that I'll ultimately probably just stay away from as Notre Dame is going to be breaking in a new quarterback. It looks as though the kid that was a transfer from Wisconsin, Jack Cohn, is going to be the starter there. Final week one college football game worth noting. It comes Labor Day night. Remember, we always get that great Monday night game. And this one, I don't know if we get two great teams, but it should be entertaining. It is Louisville versus Ole Miss and our boy Lane Kiffin. And if you remember, first of all, seven-point spread, I would run to the window and bet Ole Miss right now because Ole Miss, like the thing about Lane Kiffin, he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. He doesn't stop scoring ever. This is now year two in his offense. Matt Corral is back at quarterback. He is going to be ready to go. And so on top of that, you have an Ole Miss team that I believe is ascending under Lane Kiffin. I actually like what he did last year. I know Lane Kiffin's kind of like a Twitter joke punching bag guy. I thought he was really good. But Louisville, if you remember, also a little bit of a mess last season. If you can remember back to last season, never forget, uh, Louisville had that weird thing where Scott Satterfield, the season finishes, they go 4-7. and seven. It is a colossal disappointment. Remember, they were really good on, in Scott Satterfield's first year. They go 4-7 and seven last year. And then he goes out after the season and interviews for the South Carolina job. Then he removes his name from the South Carolina job and does this like social media Twitter post of like, guys, I'm back. And the fans are like, what are you doing? You've been here two years, your team stunk, and you want us to pat you on the back? 
because you didn't take a, a crappy job. What are you doing here, Scott Satterfield? So I like Ole Miss in that game. That is another one that I would probably bet if I was in Vegas, which I will be later this week. So I might throw a little bit on that. But again, the week one opening lines, Clemson, Georgia. Clemson is a three-point favorite. I'd probably lean Georgia plus the points, but I would wait to play the under in that game. Uh, Alabama, Miami, Alabama is a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. Would probably take Alabama first half or the over. Don't know if I'd bet the game total. LSU at UCLA. LSU, a three-point favorite. I would take LSU. The the Sunday night game, excuse me, is Notre Dame at Florida State. Notre Dame, a nine-point favorite. I would probably stay away there. Remember, Florida State will have 100% capacity for that game. And then finally, in Atlanta, Labor Day night, Ole Miss, seven-point favorite over Louisville, and I would take Ole Miss. All right, so let's switch to another football topic, and really the next two topics, they're just kind of some updates on some stuff that I've talked about on this show. The first one is our old buddy, speaking of college football, just one of the greatest college football players of all time, Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, of course, has been in the news for the last two or three weeks. A few weeks ago, I talked about it when it became clear that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to offer him a one-year non-guaranteed deal, and the whole world went crazy. And if you remember, I talked about it because I just sat there and I said, look, I don't claim, uh, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good pulse on what's going on in sports, but I was blown away by the anger of people on social media, the idea that Tim Tebow was getting another shot in the NFL. Not saying he's one of the, you know, he's one of the five best tight ends on the planet. Not saying he deserves a shot. But the idea that he can't sign a one-year non-guaranteed contract to compete for a training camp spot, didn't really see where there was reason to be outraged. But of course, social media went crazy. Everyone's claiming this, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing, it's so unfair, he's taking opportunities away from anybody else. And if you only listen to social media, you would have thought that Tim Tebow was basically the worst human being in the world or that Urban Meyer was the worst human being in the world for giving Tim Tebow an opportunity. But then a funny thing happened. On Friday, well, Thursday, Tim Tebow officially signed the contract. He officially is now in Jacksonville's, whatever they are, their mini camp, their, their uh, you know, off-season workouts, whatever. That happened on Thursday. And then on Friday, something really interesting happened. According to Adam Schefter... NFL.com, their top five sales in terms of merchandise, in terms of interest, in terms of whatever, the top five selling things on NFL.com were all Tim Tebow related. And just like that, once again, social media outraged. And as it turned out, you can't trust social media because America is still in love with Tebow, still fascinated with Tebow. I understand it's a little bit different because all the gear is new. Obviously, if you have a Tom Brady jersey, a Russell Wilson jersey, a Patrick Mahomes jersey, you're not going to go get more. But the fact that the top five selling things on NFL.com were all Tim Tebow related kind of tells you stop listening to social media. Now, in terms of the Tebow story itself, I already talked about it a few weeks ago. I'm not going to get too much into it, but I'll say this. Like, on the grand scale of do I care about Tim Tebow and the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like, I really don't. I don't care about the third-string quarter, you know, the third-string tight end with the Jacksonville Jaguars in the same way that I don't care about the backup quarterback at Clemson or the third-string, you know, power forward with Tennessee basketball or, if I talk baseball, the Colorado Rockies bullpen. Like, like it's just not a relevant topic to me. But what I was amazed by, what I was surprised by, what I was blown away by, honestly, was the reaction to Tim Tebow. Again, as I said a minute ago, signed a one-year, non-guaranteed contract. Nobody gave him $75 million over seven years. Nothing is guaranteed. There's a, there's a chance he doesn't even make the roster. And so in the grand scheme of things for us to get fired up about, I'm not going to lie, does seem a little weird to me to get outraged about a third-string tight end who might not even make the team, who, by the way, is only 33 years old. It's worth noting, and, and these are facts. Like, this is not even my opinion. Like, like, I know I'm going in and out of opinion and fact, but let's look at the T Tebow biography here. 33 years old. He's been basically training as a professional athlete since he was 14, 15, 16 years old. Yes, he was playing baseball the last four, five, six years, but it's not like he wasn't lifting like an athlete, training like an athlete, uh, doing whatever like an athlete. On top of that, we all agreed, like, four years ago, hey, if this guy just gave up the quarterback thing and just focused on being a tight end, H-back, whatever, 
Like, he could probably make it as a tight end. So we went from that extreme to now we are completely outraged that Tim Tebow is getting a shot. And it is interesting. Like, it comes in a time where people are being really weird about what to get outraged about, right? And it was something I was thinking about. I know I'm not the first person to say it, but, like, Deshaun Watson has been accused of some pretty serious stuff. Now, I believe, like everybody else does, like most logical people do, Deshaun Watson should be given the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to undersell what he is accused of, but I don't want to oversell what he's accused of. But I don't see any outrage that Deshaun Watson hasn't been suspended by the league, suspended by the Texans. Um, you know, the, 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 the criminal process isn't going along further. Like, there's no outrage about Deshaun Watson. Antonio Brown, one incident after the other, after the other, after the other. Nobody seems to care. But Tim Tebow getting a one-year non-guaranteed contract, everybody's freaking out. And everybody's freaking out for really stupid reasons that I discussed previously. First of all, this idea, I, I heard this a lot. Well, he's, he's not the most deserving tight end. That the, there's, there's other guys that deserve this opportunity more than him. One, I already discussed, like, there is a possibility that he might be good enough to make it as a tight end. We all agreed two or three years ago that, hey, if he had just given up quarterback and focused on tight end, he can do this. So there is that possibility. But as I said a few weeks ago, since when does the most qualified person always get the job in sports? It's actually not as often as you think. Think about it from the NFL's perspective. Every single year, really good players get cut because of salary cap, because they're making too much, because the NFL can get a guy younger and cheaper and get the same production at half the price. Doesn't mean that the guy they're cutting is worse. It just means that the cost-benefit analysis, whatever you want to say, of cutting the guy that's more talented versus bringing in the guy that's way cheaper and less talented, sometimes the better player gets cut. On top of that, we have this every year in the NFL draft and the NBA draft. Why do you think all these college basketball players are fighting so hard to get in the first round? It's because if you get in the first round, you get a four-year guaranteed contract. And if you get a four-year guaranteed contract, it means the team that drafts you has to try and figure out a way to make it work with you. You're a second rounder, everything's non-guaranteed. Even if it is, it's much cheaper, two-year contract. They can get out of it pretty quick. First rounder, they got to play you. They got to try things out. They got to try to make it work because they are committed to you even if you're not the best player. Speaking of which, same in the NFL. I used this analogy the other day with Tebow. Everyone's telling me, oh, oh he's, not one of the, he's not the most deserving player. So? Who cares? Happens all the time. I'll give you another example. Zach Wilson. BYU quarterback, number two pick of the Jets. Is he definitively one of the 32 best quarterbacks on the planet right now as we speak? I don't know. Is he going to get a shot to play in week one? Will he be one of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL in week one, assuming, God forbid, there's no major injuries? Of course he will. You know why? Because whether he is one of the best players or not, financially the Jets have to play him. So let's stop acting like the, the best player always gets the shot in the NFL. And that is what's, what's cracked me up about this Tebow stuff. I keep hearing this, well, he's taking a spot from somebody that's more deserving. That happens all the time. Antonio Gates, Hall of Fame tight end, maybe the greatest tight end ever. You know how many games of college football that he played? Zero. He was still given a shot by the Chargers. He still took a quote-unquote spot from somebody more deserving. Think that worked out well for the Chargers. Same with Rico Gathers a few years ago. Plays, plays basketball at Baylor, never plays it down in college football. Signs with the Dallas Cowboys. Nobody's freaking out. So stop acting like you care that much about some tight end you've never heard of from Abilene Christian. You just don't like Tim Tebow. And on top of that, it's like I said a few weeks ago. This happens in every business in every walk of life. New boss comes in, new management comes in. They want to bring in people that they trust to create the culture. It's really funny. As I mentioned a minute ago, I am recording here during game one of the Knicks-Hawks series. Who is a key player for the Knicks besides Julius Randle, Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett? It's Derrick Rose. Why did Derrick Rose come in? Because Tom Thibodeau trusts him. Tom Thibodeau brings Derrick Rose every place that he goes. He was with him with the Bulls. Then Tom Thibodeau goes to the, to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Thibodeau brings him in. And now he's with the Knicks and he brings Derrick Rose in. Is Derrick Rose the absolute best point guard for that spot? Maybe, maybe not. But Tom Thibodeau's like, I trust this guy. I like this guy. He's going to work hard. He's going to be no nonsense in the locker room. 
He's going to practice hard. He's going to establish the culture that I want. That's all that's happening with Tim Tebow. So let's stop freaking out. Let's stop acting like it's a big deal. And oh, by the way, as I said to lead this segment, I don't know how this turned into a 10-minute segment, but it is further proof of what I said a minute ago, is the idea that as much as we're all involved in social media, and I am guilty of it as anybody, I'm probably on social media more than anybody because of my job. It's not a reflection of society. You go on social media, you think Tim Tebow is the worst human being in the world. How can he possibly get a shot? The next thing you know, the top five things that are, you know, sales on NFL.com are all Tebow related. So to all you Jaguars fans listening, enjoy the offseason. Enjoy that new pretty Tebow jersey that you got. The rest of us, social media ain't a reflection of reality. And shout out Tim Tebow. I actually hope he keeps making, I hope he makes the team because it will create outrage. By the way, I didn't even mention the idea that, you know, the best part about all this, all this Tim Tebow stuff is taking attention away from Trevor Lawrence, which I think was Urban Meyer's original plan. I mean, think about it. How many of us are talking about Trevor Lawrence at all right now? None of us, because we can't stop talking about Tebow. So Urban Meyer may be an evil genius, whatever, but I think it's just this Tebow thing is so funny. Last story, and it is also an update from... Something that I've talked about a few times now this spring, and so I won't spend a ton of time on it, but it is the fiasco that is going on at the University of Hartford. And if you listen to this show regularly, you know all the details, so I'm not going to break it down minute by minute, second by second, but there was an important update that I think is worth mentioning. University of Hartford, school five minutes from where I grew up, um, you know, fun school. It's not, listen, it's not Harvard, but it's a fun school. I used to go there hit a few uh, maybe parties that I wasn't legally allowed to be, but it's a fun school. But they make their first ever NCAA tournament berth in men's basketball this year, lose to Baylor, and as soon as they're getting ready to leave, as a matter of fact, I read this week that John Gallagher, their head coach, who I'm trying to get on this show, as he was packing up to leave the Indianapolis bubble, finds out that the school is planning on moving from D1 to D3. I've talked about it a few times on this show. The last couple weeks, it has become official as the University of Hartford announced a few weeks ago they are transitioning from D1 to D3. And about a week, 10 days, two weeks ago, I actually talked a little bit about this because as I explained, the logical reason why the school is moving to D from D1 to D3 is to save a ton of money But if you actually break it down and there was an outside consulting firm that was hired, what you find out is you're not going to really save money for about seven, eight, nine, ten years because you have to factor in that you're going to have to pay an exit fee to your conference. You're going to have to factor in that you're going to have to pay an entry fee to whatever D3 conference you go to. You're going to have to factor in that you're still going to have to pay the scholarships for the players that are currently on campus that came to be there for D1 athletes. You don't factor in that every team in D1 gets a cut of the NCAA tournament revenue, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars, which helps stimulate the uh, athletic department. And so the reason for leaving doesn't even make sense. But that's not why I'm talking about it again today, because I already explained all that. The reason I'm talking about it again today is because new layers keep coming up because the president of the school, Gregory Woodward, is an absolute buffoon. And every time he talks, he puts his foot in his mouth. And here is the latest from the University of Hartford, because over this week, credit to all the like real journalists, like the big J's in Connecticut. I have a journalism background. I've, I've done some reporting. I've written a book, whatever. These guys are big J's, and they went up and dug up some very interesting information about this guy, Gregory Woodward, the president of the University of Hartford. None of it makes him look good, and all I'm going to say is this. If they keep digging stuff up, he, this guy's going to have to resign before he even gets to implement this, and it wouldn't even surprise me if this all ends with, with University of Hartford staying D1. In the macro, none of this is a huge deal. It, in a lot of ways, reminds me of the Dino Gaudio stuff. Dino Gaudio last week, Louisville, claims that there's all these NCAA rules violations. Then when you find out what the violations are, you're like, hmm, wasn't really that bad. Anyway, this is what we found out about this University of Hartford president, Greg Woodward. He's trying to transition the school from D1 to D3. People are digging st- stuff up on him. Here's what we found out. First of all, we found out he has claimed in previous interviews that he was a D1 athlete, that he was a soccer player at Villanova. Well, somebody actually did the homework, and a couple things aren't true. He did go to Villanova for a year. He did walk on at Villanova for a year, but he wasn't a D1 athlete. You know how I know he wasn't a D1 athlete? Because D1 soccer did not exist when he went to Villanova. 
So first of all, he made this big claim about I'm a, I'm a, I was a student athlete once myself. If he was, you kind of wonder, like, why is he in a rush to kind of move athletics to the side? But that's neither here nor there. But I bring it up because he played one year as a walk-on at Villanova, ended up transferring to my alma mater, UConn. But he wasn't a D1 athlete because D1 soccer did not exist at that point. So that's lie number one. Lie number two, in a previous interview, he said that he was in his high school's Hall of Fame for athletics. He went to William H. Hall High School in West Hartford, Connecticut. There's just one problem. There is no high school athletic Hall of Fame at William H. Hall High School. And I feel pretty confident in telling you that as a fact and not opinion based on a few things. One, it's been reported by all the great journalists in Connecticut. But two, here's a fun fact about your boy. I went to William H. Hall High School. Apparently, I went to the same high school as this president. And I can tell you for a fact, I've been gone for a while now. There is no Athletics Hall of Fame at my high school. I know that for a fact. I was there like two years ago. Unless it's been built during the pandemic when the school was closed, there is no Athletics Hall of Fame. By the way, I'd be waiting for my induction. Not going to lie, I wasn't a very good athlete. Maybe I'd make it as some kind of honorary whatever. I was a decent baseball player. Undersized little runty football player. I'm about 5'10". Too, too, too small to really do anything. Not fast. Not big enough to be like a O-lineman. But I tried. I had heart. I'm not in the Hall of Fame. The reason I'm not in the Hall of Fame? Because it doesn't exist. Same with Gregory Woodward. So that's strike two. The third thing that came out that I actually found to be the more interesting part of it all is this. Once the move was announced that they were going from D1 to D3, the school's women's basketball coach, Morgan Valley, played at UConn, decides that she is going to leave to take an assistant coaching job at UConn. And what was interesting about it was, never forget, the school is transitioning from D1 to D3 to save money, okay? Just one problem. When Morgan Valley left the school, she owed the school a buyout. And she asked the school, how are we going to handle the buyout? You know what the school said? Ah, don't worry about it. No buyout. You could just leave. So you explain to me, and I know this isn't the school president's fault. This isn't all his fault. But you're trying to move from D1 to D3 to save money. The women's coach leaves. She owes a buyout. You don't make her pay it. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And so I'm saying all this to just say very simply, this story is going to continue to evolve. And this is something that I think all of us, like I've just seen it too often in sports. When you make a really controversial decision, and I'm not even saying this is necessarily the wrong decision. I disagree with it, but there are logical reasons why it's happening. But when you make a very controversial decision that is going to upset a lot of people, do yourself a favor and make sure you have all your ducks in a row. And I say that because when you make a controversial decision that's going to upset a lot of people, people are going to do some digging. And you better make sure when they dig, there are no skeletons in that closet. Trust me, I know, to some degree. I'm not saying I'm as important as a school president, but I say stuff that pisses people off all the time, and they're always looking at, you know, you did this at this point. Yeah, well, in the grand scheme, I don't think I've done anything that bad. But I know that, and I put myself out there, so when I criticize somebody, I can say, well, I, I wouldn't do that because I've never done it. So the only point I'm trying to make, it's going to be fascinating to follow because now there is blood in the water, and now it is clear that there is real pushback, that people are really upset about this decision, and I'm going to tell you this, whether it's right or wrong, I don't think they're going to stop until they keep digging up dirt on this guy, keep digging up dirt, keep digging up dirt, and try to get him out. And if I had to handicap, we were just talking about week one college football lines. If I had to handicap, I would almost bet that this ends with somehow this guy resigning and the school staying D1. I want to put it 100%. But people are going to keep digging, keep trying to find stuff on this guy until he has no choice but to resign. All I'm saying is be careful when you make controversial decisions because it's going to upset a lot of people. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I just did what I said I wasn't going to do. I swore I wasn't going to talk that long after the break, and I just did like 35 minutes. I never shut up. Imagine being my wife, poor woman. All right. Before we get out of here, I'll remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. 
Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions or if you're an LSU fan coming out to the Rose Bowl for the UCLA game, we're going to throw a party. We're going to have a good time. Make sure you're following on YouTube, all that good stuff. You know the deal. That is all for today's show. I should mention, too, by the way, make sure you need a gift for yourself, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Not going to lie, I was using my Manscaped this weekend. The razors are actually great. Like, my wife took the razors for, you know, her personal grooming stuff. So, manscaped.com is for the fellas. It's for the ladies. Use promo code Torres. You get 20% off plus free shipping. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back later this week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.